Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 20. The Named Arrow. The Named Arrow, Sheriff. The Named Arrow, yelled Robin Hood the instant after he felt it leave his bow. A second or so later, the Sheriff of Nottingham pitched forward, an arrow in his back. Nobody can be sure whether he heard Robin's cry and knew, in the instant before it hit, that his death was assured. Those of the merry men who were still able to think probably wished that the Lord of Nottingham felt the fear he was due before he died. The sheriff did not move at all once he had hit the ground. The arrow hit him squarely in the back and pierced his heart. Death was instantaneous. The merry men of Sherwood released little John from his bounds. The big man stood and paced slowly over to where his master was standing. Robin Hood was quiet now. All of the rage had gone, and he stood silently over the body of Will Scarlet. Noiselessly, he cried. The tears crawled down his anguished face and dripped from his chin onto the red fabric of Will's tunic. There it mixed with the now-drying blood, creating patterns of red on red that told the story of death. Little John placed his hand on Robin's shoulder as Friar Tuck came over and prayed for the soul of Will Scarlet. Robin nodded and thanked his chaplain. Then he and Little John picked up the body of their friend and carried it back to Robber's Glade. There, with full outlaw honours, Will Scarlet was laid to rest. A few of the sheriff's men escaped and managed to get back to Nottingham. There they tried to portray their dismal defeat as an honourable one. Robin Hood himself was sorely wounded, they lied. Nearly all of the outlaws had been killed. Now the forest could be cleared. They had already done the hard work. Now, one would have thought that Abbot Hugo and Sir Guy of Gisborne knew too much about Robin Hood to be taken in by these obvious exaggerations. It seems, though, that this was not the case, as was evidenced by a conversation between the Abbot of St Mary's and his warden. After the sheriff's funeral, attended by many people but few mourners, the Abbot called Sir Guy over to him. I have sent you against Robin of Loxley many times. You have failed me again and again. Now, though, I think we have him. You want me to go again? The abbot nodded. Yes, my friend, yes. We will have vengeance for the sheriff's death and for everything he's stolen from us. How will I find him? asked Guy. He knows that forest too well. I could hunt him in Sherwood for a year and maybe never find him. No need. We'll lure him out, replied Abbot Hugo. All I need to do is let it be known that I'm sending the taxes to King John to Nottingham. Even if he's sorely wounded like they say, he won't be able to resist a massive payday. He'll come out and try and take it. I'll send a few monks with treasure bags, empty of course, as bait. Then you, my friend, will take him. They say there are only twenty or so of them left. If you take fifty men, then even you will be able to beat them. The abbot laughed at his own cruel joke. Guy grimaced, but nodded his agreement. I have some vengeance of my own to extract, he said grimly. Give me notice when the convoy is about to set out, and I will be ready. This time I will have him. A few days later, as the sun shone brightly over Nottinghamshire, Abbot Hugo's party set out from St Mary's. Sir Guy of Gisborne had been informed in plenty of time, and he was ready with his fifty men. Sir Guy was wary. He'd been caught out so many times before, and he was determined not to be outthought this time. He made sure that his troop couldn't be spotted as they trailed the supposed gold bearers. Before long, it seemed like the plan had been a good one. 
As the convoy was entering the edge of the forest, the monks were suddenly set upon by fifteen or so outlaws dressed in Lincoln green. A large monk was at their head. Stand and deliver, shouted Friar Tuck. Give me your cargo now, quietly and without even the thought of a fight, and you will not be harmed. Abbot Hugo's clerk, not normally known for his bravery, replied defiantly, We will not give you anything. We have no gold, simply some holy relics which we are delivering to the church in Nottingham. They are being placed there as we celebrate the most holy festival of the harvest. Do not lay your hands upon them. It will be sacrilege. Relics? queried the friar. What relics? We have some clippings of the hair of St Augustine, a shoelace given by King Hengist to St Wilfred, and, best of all, a casket containing the fingernail of St Bridget. Friar Tuck burst out laughing. While he had a healthy respect for holy items, these sounded like the most rubbish relics ever. He gave the order for the party to be searched anyway, and anything other than the dubious relics be removed from them. The clerk screamed sacrilege again, but Friar Tuck took no notice. He ordered Much the Miller's son to give the clerk's nose a tweak as a punishment for being so defiant. This Much did with some glee. Then the bags were searched. A small amount of gold, along with some fine cloth, were found. These had been intended as presents for the new Sheriff of Nottingham. The abbot had sent them along with the decoy tax convoy, as he had been certain that Guy of Gisborne and his men would defeat the ragged band of remaining outlaws, and thus the gifts would get through unhindered. Also, amazingly, he sent a letter to the new sheriff. Friar Tuck found it and began to read. As he took in each line, his face became redder and redder. He looked up and read the contents out loud. To Simon, Sheriff of Nottingham, greetings from St Mary's. I send sundry gifts along with this letter. I invite you to a banquet at my abbey. If things have worked out as I planned, then Robin Hood has been captured or killed by my steward, Sir Guy of Gisborne. If he has been captured alive, then it is my will that Guy bring him to you in Nottingham, and you can hang him over the city gate as a warning to all other rogues. If any of his men escape, I beseech you to root them out and wipe this band of criminals from this county. Find and burn their stronghold, so that if any survive they will have nowhere to hide. Please accept my hearty greeting and these unworthy gifts as a gesture of my good will. Well, said Friar Tuck, I don't think Robin will be pleased when he reads this, but I think it's my duty to make sure that he does. Pack everything onto the mules, lads. Truss up these rascals like chickens. The monks submitted to being bound without putting up a fight. This was for two main reasons. First, there wasn't a lot they could do about it if they tried. Second, and more important, they expected Sir Guy of Gisborne and his men to come to their aid at any moment. A mile or so behind, Sir Guy was preparing to do just that. He had twenty mounted soldiers and thirty infantry. Just as they'd planned, they entered the forest a few minutes after the group of monks. A few seconds after they reached a point where the road narrowed to pass between two mighty oaks, they heard a huge crack. A tree fell in front of them, blocking their way. The horses were startled and tried to turn and bolt, but a second tree, even bigger than the first, fell behind them. They were trapped. Just as Sir Guy and his men were sizing up their chances of escaping into the forest, a figure climbed up onto the vast trunk in front of them and began to speak. It was, of course, Robin Hood. He was quite clearly completely uninjured. For the first time that day, a sliver of doubt entered the mind of Sir Guy of Gisborne. 
Twelve or so of the quicker foot soldiers raised crossbows and prepared to fire at the figure on the tree. To a man they failed. Every one fell to the floor, an arrow protruding from his chest. Robin spoke. And that will be the fate of the next man who tries to shoot. Nobody else tried to shoot. Guy, it's a long time since we've met like this. I think it's time we had a word. Outlaws swarmed into the temporary pen from the forest. Sir Guy of Gisborne realised that far from outnumbering Robin's men by at least two to one, he was at a large numerical disadvantage. With an almost resigned note in his voice, Guy replied, I yield. You've got the better of me again. I'm not wasting any more lives of good men when we don't stand a chance. Robin seemed about to allow this unusually compassionate response and let Guy and his men go, until Friar Tuck appeared and read out the letter from Abbot Hugo. Robin turned to Guy. I'm not fond of this talk of hanging. Did you know about this letter? Sir Guy, seized it seems by a sudden attack of honesty, admitted he knew about it and supported the sentiment. Well, Sir Guy of Gisborne, I can't let this go. But you're right, we don't need to waste lives. The quarrel is ours, not theirs. So you and I will fight it out, with these men, yours and mine, here to see fair play. We will end this once and for all. And if I win? Then you can go back to Abbot Hugo and tell him Robin Hood is dead, my men will retire from outlawing, and you vile corrupt Normans will go unmolested from this day forth. And what, continued Guy, if I refuse this challenge? Then, in front of your men and mine, I call you a coward. Twice before you have come to seek me out and kill me. Both times I've let you live. This time we will end it. Either you or I will die today. Sir Guy of Gisborne dismounted and drew his sword. Then, steadily and firmly, he spoke. To the death, Robin of Loxley. To the death, Guy of Gisborne. And so Robin and Guy set about each other, both knowing that only one would survive. They thrust and parried, warily at first and then more aggressively. After a few minutes, Robin stepped on a branch as he dodged a blow. This caught him off guard for a moment, and Sir Guy took his chance. He swung his sword, aiming to take Robin's head from his shoulders. At the very last moment, Robin jerked backwards and the sword merely nicked his neck. Robin Hood caught the smell of his own blood. Nearly, taunted Guy. But not quite. Robin thrust towards Guy, catching him a little unawares, but the Norman steward was on a roll. He jumped away and then tried the Norman trick of swinging low, sweeping at his opponent's knees. Robin, though, knew the trick well. He'd fought many Normans. He jumped to avoid the broadsword and at the same time raised his own. As Sir Guy was finishing his stroke, Robin began his thrust. The Norman realised too late what was happening. He didn't even have time to stand up properly before Robin's blade pierced his armour. Robin pushed the blade hard into his opponent, knowing he'd found the right spot. Sir Guy seemed to stop dead, a shocked look in his eyes. Then he let out a burbling moan from his mouth, followed by far too much blood. As Robin withdrew his sword, Guy fell forward flat on his face. His fight with Robin Hood was over. Sir Guy of Gisborne was very dead. Robin stood up. Peace to him. He was a bad man with no pity, but now we should pity him. He stood a moment in silence, as did the rest of his men. And then it was back to business. 
Remove the far tree, commanded Robin. Let these men take their dead back to St Mary's where they can be buried. Let them take Sir Guy with them, but let's decorate him first. Robin motioned to Friar Tuck, who knew what was meant. He stepped forward with the letter from Abbot Hugo to the new sheriff. Smiling, he took out a knife and pinned the letter to Guy's chest. The remaining men led their horses, carrying their dead out of the forest. When the men returned to St Mary's, the abbot knew he was beaten. The sheriff of Nottingham was dead, and he didn't know whether the new sheriff would be so keen on ridding Nottinghamshire and England of Robin Hood. His steward, Sir Guy of Gisborne, was also dead. OK, so he had failed every time he'd tried to catch Robin, but at least it gave the outlaw king something to think about. Sir Isambard de Balaam was dead, so there was no powerful Norman baron with a grudge nearby to hassle Robin and his men. And so Abbot Hugo gave up. For now. Peace came to Sherwood. As the years passed, King John battled with his barons and had no time to worry about an outlaw. In the end, he was forced to submit to his own fellows and sign a document known as Magna Carta to appease them. Meanwhile in Sherwood, Robin Hood and his merry men went about their business unmolested. Deer were killed, abbots, lords and bishops were robbed and the poor of Nottinghamshire lived more easily. Robin Hood mourned Will Scarlet but lived happily with his Marion. King John came to a sticky end soon after Magna Carta. After losing the crown jewels, marching across the wash, he died, apparently of vexation. His young son Henry came to the throne, aged just nine. By this time, Abbot Hugo was quite an old man. He'd given up on Robin Hood. Given up, that is, until it was announced a visitor had arrived at the abbey. One of the monks informed the abbot that a peddler wanted to see him. Hugo acquiesced, and a thin little man was brought before him. He looked up at Abbot Hugo with beady, crafty eyes. Hugo frowned and then opened his mouth in surprise. When he regained his composure, he spoke. That is the face of Roger Legrand. Much has it changed, but I'd know it anywhere. It is I, replied Roger the Cruel. I have battled to survive all these years after that criminal Robin Hood burned evil hold to the ground. I bided my time until I could make my move and have my revenge. And now I offer to share my revenge with you. I know I can get to his secret hold. I paid a peddler who is a friend of theirs to take me where they hide away. It's amazing how little I needed to pay him to give away his friends. I think he was convinced I really was a peddler. He's taking me there tomorrow. Roger the Cruel gave a little snort of a laugh, then continued. What will you give me if I succeed in killing Robin Hood? Five hundred gold marks and anything you can take from the outlaws, replied Hugo. But how will you do it? I will befriend them and eat with them, and then, when they are good and drunk, I will kidnap Marion, his wife. Then I'll bring her here. I will offer her life for his, and he will be our prisoner. Summon up as many men as the sheriff will allow you. They can come with me to Sherwood and help me escape from the forest. The abbot smiled. He felt more alive than he'd done for many years. At last he was going to have his revenge on Robin Hood. A few days later they were all set. Roger the Cruel's plan went very well. Will the Peddler, a friend of the Merry Men, took him to Robber's Glade. The sheriff's men followed at a safe distance. They watched as Roger the Cruel entered the outlaw's hideout. The secret was no longer secret. None of the merry men recognised Roger the Cruel as he walked among them. He was twenty years older and much thinner than the last time they had seen him. 
he ate and drank with them and joined in the singing and merriment. Just as he had planned, everyone was in good spirits. A lot of ale had flowed. The only problem was that Marion wasn't there. Not until late evening did she return. She didn't seem to notice the guest, speaking only to Robin and then making her excuses. Roger the Cruel seized his chance. As Marion walked off to one of the caves, he followed her. He was a few steps away when he stepped on a dry twig. It snapped and Marion heard it. She turned round. Normally, all would have been fine. He was a guest in the glade, and he was entitled to wander around. It wasn't as though he was close enough to grab her. He wasn't being in any way threatening, yet. But Roger the Cruel was out of luck. As soon as Marion saw his face, the game was up. She recognised him. He had been there at Evil Hold when Sir Isambart had imprisoned her. Even twenty years and not enough dinners couldn't disguise his features enough for her to be fooled. Roger the Cruel had milliseconds to think. Realising his chances of getting out alive rested upon his ability to carry out his original plan and spirit Marion away from Sherwood, he pulled out a knife and lunged towards her. He was too late. Marion screamed. Roger had only intended to use the knife to frighten Marion into making her come with him. He hadn't intended to harm her. After all, what would have been the point of that? He lunged at her, trying to get her to be quiet. As he did so, he slipped, and the knife found itself buried in Marion's shoulder. She screamed again. "'Shut up! Shut up!' said Roger. "'The place is surrounded. If you cry out again, I'll call the sheriff's men, and your friends will die!' Marion said no more, but the alarm had already been raised. Footsteps were heard. Robin Hood was running towards them. Roger the Cruel stood up and ran. Robin reached Marion and saw that she was badly hurt. Without a second thought, he raised his bow and fired. The light was almost non-existent, and Roger the Cruel had run sixty yards, but Robin Hood was still the best bowman in England. The arrow sailed towards its target and buried itself in Roger the Cruel's shoulder. The kidnapper was pinned to a tree. Robin Hood bent down to tend his wife. Friar Tuck soon arrived to help. Marion was injured, but didn't seem to be about to die. We need to get her to Kirkley's Abbey. The prioress will tend her until she's well. And that's what they did. Marion was taken to Kirkley's to be tended by the sisters. Before she left, though, she gave Robin Hood the dreadful news. Robber's Glade had been discovered. The men of Sherwood would never be safe there again. Robin Hood and Little John dragged Roger the Cruel to the gates of St Mary's, and there they hung him for all to see. Pinned to his breast was a note. This is what happens to the abbot's luckies, and this is what will happen to the abbot if he ever leaves this place. And with that, the merry men of Sherwood went their separate ways. Robin Hood travelled north, not really knowing what he was going to do. Next time, we'll find out where he goes and what he does, as we conclude the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. This podcast is and always will remain free, but... I do have hosting costs, and if you'd like to make a donation, then please go to the website www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com where you'll find a donation button. The process really is very simple. If you'd like to leave me any feedback or ask questions, then please contact me by email mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.